I think I, I think I mess that up every fucking time I do it. Actually, maybe I have one, one job. Two, three. It's like it's like Monty Python. One, two, five. No three, sir. <laughs> three. The holy hand grenade, Antioch. <laughs> Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Welcome to Atlas Bacht, a weekly chronicle concerning the mundane, weird, and maybe even sometimes dramatic happenings of a simple fantasy baseball league. This podcast captures the thoughts and musings of Greg, Joe, Jack, and Tim, four of the ten owners in the league. This is episode 38 entitled, Tequila and the Gallo Shift. Well, hello, Bacher Nation and all you bots out there. Joe, Brushback, Schlobotnik, J-Lo, Low-Key, whatever the hell we're calling you this week, how are you tonight? I am doing well, sir. Excellent. Greg, how are you tonight? I'm still on a high from that royal wedding yesterday. Oh, what an event. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> oh, magic. They're the most lovable dictators in the world, I think, that British royal family. I was actually at a, a gathering today and... Uh, there was a question was asked, where do they get their money? Oh. And someone said, well, they are the richest people in the world. No, that's not true. Yeah, but I thought, well, that that's kind of cool. Like, they're so rich, they could have, like, a nation. But then I tapped Google to get the real answer, and they're broke. They're not broke. But they get the, the sovereignty, sovereignty grant, which is where they get the money. So every year they're paid a certain amount of money based on the amount of lands that they own, right? Right. So apparently you did the same search, or is that just something that you know? Yeah, no, I hate the royal family. I think they are the world's biggest welfare fucking moocher dictators through unabashed brutality, acquired castles and land and so forth. They didn't have the fucking nuts to hang on to them, but because the uh, Brits are such uh, sympathetic twats that they're allowing them to keep it and paying them to maintain their fucking castles, which is obnoxious what they should say is like listen after this year we're cutting you off think about the castles that you really want to keep sell the rest and you should be just fine for the rest of your fucking worthless lives are you are you playing to our german listeners now in stuttgart well i mean what do you mean the royal family is german what are you talking about that would be like the royal family they're german as, you guys know uh, way too much about they're, those they're people. german as wiener schnitzel as royals well, i mean what a bunch of butchers they are seriously <laughs> They're so obnoxious. God. Although, wait, hold on. Did you actually watch the wedding, though, out of no. spite? Did you hate watching? No. Oh, okay. All right. So let's get to the scores. Reardon Metal is currently playing against St. Low Cash. This was a close game all week long. I think we saw some cracks in Joe's overconfident facade this week. We can talk about that in a little bit. But right now, both have a player in play. Joe has Carlos Correa, and Chris has Jose Ramirez. Both have Start out 0-1. Carlos Correa is on deck. We'll keep you informed on this. The difference is about um, a grand slam and a double. <laughs> mm. Not likely to happen. It's now in the it's Houston versus Cleveland. They're in their third inning. We'll see. Because in our next game, the street people beat Philadelphia Experiment 2. So mm. Pop says now no longer Ofer. He has beaten the Philadelphia Experiment 2, which is probably why Jack was too ashamed to come on. No. It seems like anytime there's a bad loss for Jack's team, he suddenly has some major life event happen that he can't join. Would you agree, guys? Pussy. I mean, uh, I certainly. Yeah, I'd say so, too. I I still have the opportunity to lose, and I'm not going to hang up if I do. Oh, Joe. Enough. (laughs) I still have the opportunity to lose. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in theory. Come on. 
It's just going to make that loss all the more epic. They still haven't removed those 1.6 points for that game that wasn't finished. So it's actually closer than you think. Mm. What inning did they make it to in that game? Uh, I believe it was the fifth and the game was suspended. Can't a game be officially recorded after the fifth? Yeah. It's after the visiting team, right? For whatever reason, the game was suspended. It wasn't canceled. Hmm. So those points still exist in my my staff score, along with whatever strikeouts and walks were recorded. So Chris actually could still be ahead. We just don't know it. Because those points never went away. 1.6? Yep. You're up more than that, though. Yeah, but 1.6... That, that's a, a double and a run. Huh, that's interesting. Okay, we'll keep an eye on this game. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Joe loves to ramp up the drama. He does, well... But, but Bacher Nation, you know, Joe is a tell. If you could only see him, he has a tell that is fairly obvious when he's feeling relaxed and confident. There it is. <laughs> Playing Carl- with his, uh, his evil, snidely, whiplash-like <laughs> facial hair. <laughs> Was there anybody more built to play the evil genius than Joe? I I don't think so. I think he is inhabiting this role all too easily. So the street people do take out the Philadelphia experiment. Pops is now winning. We've just learned that maybe Rudin Metal is a little more on the knife's edge than we thought. We'll have to dig into that, folks. We won't do that on air. (laughs) Scotty lost. Scotty was destroyed this week. Ouch. We've got a situation since the, the Bryce Harper trade, Omission Commission has gone one in three, and 47 Ronin has gone three and one. And I got to tell you, boys, something's going on. This is not good for him. If Joe wins, the gap opens up even greater in the Griffey division. He's in a dogfight against the Dreamers and 47 Ronin for the wild card. I don't even know if it's a dogfight anymore. I mean, uh, you guys, the Dreamers and you are putting some miles on uh, on poor Scotty. So I think the curse is unequivocally real. And I think his, uh, he's facing a lost season. I'm going to go out on a, a, on a limb here and say he's not going to make the playoffs. Ooh, he's out of it. Wow. He's out of the race. I think it's a little too early to call that. Well, I do know that I offered Scotty a choice guest appearance on this podcast. Sent him a text and said, come on, defend that trade. And you talk about how the curse is impacting your team this year. And suddenly he had things to do. You know, you got to hand it to Greg, right? He gets walloped in a game. He still shows up, still does his work. He's prepped. He's ready. He's done his research. He didn't darty. He's here. He's here. It's called being a pro, Tim. I agree, Greg. Good job. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So the other game we didn't talk about was Lethal Injection. The team has woken up. Lethal, Lethal Injection right now has the second highest score. That is probably going to stay. And Lethal Injection, the defending champs, crushed the funk and punks so now we have in the mcguire division at the standings the dreamers move to six and one 47 ronin moves to five and two and bad street moves to one and six so all teams in the mcguire division have at least one win the bonds division st low cash what happened to st low cash they lost they, right? they lost to joe oh, well yeah, they okay. were about right. to lose to joe <laughs> so st low cash is about to lose to joe they'll move to three and four Mr. Blonde's heroes will move to two and five, and the Funk and Punks will move to one and six to match Pop's record. So, in other words, a very tight race in the Blonde's <laughs> division. Exactly. <laughs> it, is a, it is a tight it's, race. It's probably for sure. in the shape of to be our finest race going down the stretch, ladies <laughs> you, and gentlemen. You know, it's, if you were in this division and you were trying mm. to lose, you would be in big trouble. Like, <laughs> but A trade deadline looms large. Who's going to make just the right move? Right. It feels like it feels like it feels like nobody wants to win in this division and they're going to be pissed off when they make the playoffs. So we'll see. Well, that's what makes it so brutal for somebody going for the wild card is there there's actually going to be a playoff spot coming out of this division. Right. And there's only going to be one spot left. Well, that's team. that's life, Joe. It that's is. life in divisional sports, my friend. It is. Well, that means Joe gets to play whoever comes out of the Bonds division, right? So Joe will be the best team, and then the Bonds division will have the worst team. Yeah, and look how well that worked out for me last year. I was going to say, wouldn't that be a fucking storyline? You know, uh, I can't wait to see Joe square off with me in the playoffs (laughs) and just go, his bats go cold. 
Just as all of your uh, all of your uh, minor league players come up and get promoted, yeah. As uh, Vlad Jr., he's hitting over four hundred. The minors just chomping to get up to the majors. Vladito. Mm. So in the Griffey division, nothing much has changed other than it, Joe's lead. Joe's lead is, is expanded. Joe moved to seven and zero, the only undefeated team. Omission Commission, the cursed Omission Commission, oh. will move to four and three. So there's three, uh, yeah, three game difference in the loss column there. The Philadelphia Experiment two will move to three and four, and Lethal Injection moves to three and four. So another tight race in here, Greg. Well, for second, if uh, second mattered, but it's you know it's not really tight at all because Joe's going to lap the competition in that division. He's got that winning percentage of one thousand. Well, what will be interesting, though, is, I mean, as uh, our listeners may or may not recall, the way we set up our divisions every year is that that division is comprised of last year's playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, right now we have um, one team, obviously, Joe, uh, Juggernaut Joe, but then the other ones are all flirting with being below 500. Just goes to show you how quickly things can change from year to year and, and how challenging it is to stay competitive among those playoff teams. It's got to be tough, right? Joe's going to walk into winning that division, which means that if anyone else wants to make it, they're going to have to do it through the wild card. And with the Dreamers doing what they're doing, that could be tough, right? Because um, 47 Ronin is, is, is fighting for the wild card as well. Well, and I can tell you guys uh, just a little inside information. The Dreamers, uh, as well as they're doing, they're not content to sit back and just ride their current roster. I have it on very good authority that they are looking to make moves and, and continue to upgrade to try to further solidify their, their playoff ambitions. Well, they should, because when I look at 47 Ronin's team, I, I still feel like they've got a better roster of players. You know, the Dreamers are doing well. I, I'm not sure they can continue that the way Tim's roster is put together to continue oh. it. Oh, between those two. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. And now that Tim's free of the curse. Woo! Okay, gentlemen, let's go ahead and take a break, refresh our drinks, come back in a few moments. And I think we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about tonight. So we'll get right to it. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange. When you're strange, when you're strange People are strange, when you're a stranger Faces look ugly, when you're alone Women seem wicked, when you're unwanted Streets are uneven, when you're down Welcome back, Bockers. I got to share something with you guys. Um, we, <laughs> I, I get messages on the board all the time. Can you please replace this player? Can you please replace that player? You two do a great job. I tell everybody, look, I'm not going to make a change unless it's on the site, so we can always go back. We can always check. It's time-stamped. works really well. So I get this note from Pops. I got it. Uh, it came in last night, so I saw it this morning. And it's in all caps, as Pops likes to do. Mm. And it's a private message posted by Bad Street. And it said, uh, on 518, Upton was out with a red cross, period. I subbed <laughs> Duvall for Upton at the time, period. Please make the change for me, period. Thanks, and I hope you enjoyed your birthday, period. I sent it private because I did not want to give the impression of being a cryberry. Crybaby, period. <laughs> so I respond back, and I said, hey, Pops, I appreciate that. The problem is Duvall's in your minors, and we can only bring him up from the bench. And he sends note back in all caps. So what can I do? <laughs> Have backup on your bench. Like, what can I do? I mean, I I went check the the rules and everything. You can't you can't bring a guy up from the minors for an injury. I like how you relayed Pop's message. It it kind of had the feeling of an old timey telegram. You know, like how they used to read telegrams on on <laughs> right. old movies. 
the the five fifteen train from Clarksburg is late. Stop. <laughs> Invest all available funds in broccoli. Stop. You know. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, have more backups on the bench, or have more backups on the bench, or you know, live with it. Try to find <laughs> players that are are a little more healthy. I don't know, like injuries or multi positional. Yeah, right. That's exactly. Super utility guys on there. That's a that's a mach- that's a Joe move right there. There you go. Yeah, you always valued those players. Marwin and Gonzalez. I was actually thinking about if we go to right field, center field, left field, and we go to second base and shortstop, we're going to have to expand our bench. Yeah. Yeah, because you'd need to have a backup right fielder and a backup center fielder. But a, but a lot of the but there's a lot of guys. There's relatively few guys who are just their one primary position in DH. I mean, catchers obviously, but but you know most outfielders. You know the, the you know the corner outfielders can play both. Are you going to be able to differentiate between using Marwin Marwin Gonzalez as a, as an example? You know, he's probably played games in left, center, and right. Yeah, you know. Um, I wonder if can we go that deep? I'm. I know we can, and I know that that CBS Sports can do that. Um, I, I'm just not sure if it breaks down. Yeah, doesn't know, it say on the site? I, I haven't looked at it that closely. Doesn't it break down like have all the positions and the number of games they've played in each? Never been a reason to know that before. Uh, let me see. And what if? Uh, what if you have a player like that and he plays 10 games at each position, but he doesn't qualify at one outfield position because he didn't play enough games at that? Well, we're going to have to adjust rules like that. I think yeah. that if, if he plays one, you know, at all, if he makes an appearance in the left field and he's a right fielder, if he shifts over, yeah. I mean, maybe it's one game, three games, who knows? But or, or Brock Holt would be another one for the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he becomes more valuable. It, it just takes... A little more thought, and that's why I think it, it'll take a little time before we actually are able to make it happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll all have one Josh Harrison on our on our team, you know, right? And the super utility. Somebody guys, right? just pick him yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think Mikey just picked him up. Austin Meadows, by the way, Pirates' uh, former top prospect, who's been somewhat injury prone and disappointing, was called up because Marte went on the ten day disabled list, and he had two hits in his debut, and he had a home run today. That's awesome. Who has him? You or Chris? No, not me. I think Chris must have him. I yeah. don't have him. That's great. It's yeah. just nice to see the I mean, you know, the Pirates lost three or two or three to the, the Padres, but they were in sole possession of first place the other day, as I texted you guys. <laughs> it's nice to see. That's beautiful. So both, both Ramirez and Correa are 0 for 2, and we're in the bottom of the fifth now. Yeah, you're you're pretty much time like is said, growing tight. Yeah, we we already called this. I mean, your team continues to crush, Joe. Right? I mean, you know, your message to the league, which I think it's probably right that we read the message right now for immediate release. While we here at the Rudin Metal Baseball Club offices understand that lesser clubs need to have some hope, please be advised that we are coming for you, all of you. Sincerely, Joe Brushback Schlobotnik. General Manager, Reardon Metal. I thought that was a, a very professional press release. I love that you're embracing where your team is at. That's that is that's great. I mean, you're you're saying it. You know, I think the difference is you're being a tremendous dick about it. Like <laughs> we we've had other teams that have had runs like this, but no one has ever really fully embraced and embodied that just kind of evil overlord view that you do. It'll make it that much more sweet when I fail, right? <laughs> well, thank you for doing that for us. You'll be able to laugh harder. <laughs> he, he's I, out swaggering. He definitely is is really trying to rip that that name away from from Jack for sure. But I, I don't know, Greg. I mean, well, he lost to Pops today. He clearly doesn't want it. Oh, oh my! I love this, Joe. I love it. <laughs> so I, I guess, Greg, what do you think? Does, do you think his team has staying powers? I mean, his he does have a team full of players that have the pedigree to do it. And he's he's got a young team. Joe's team is pretty young when you look, so it's gonna that's gonna slightly lower the injury risk for sure. And they're trending at about even or a little above their career norms. If he falls, this fall is going to be epic. Well, yeah, I mean, he he himself has said, and and it's not him being uh, falsely modest that that his team has 
some depth. I mean, they're a solid bench, too, but there are some depth issues. So the thing that I think would be interesting, I think Joe's going to cruise through the regular season. But in as much as some of his key players are also on good actual major league teams, it'll be interesting to see if those teams have strong leads, if some of these guys start to getting rested. Uh, or like the Yankees rotation, if they're cruising into late August, early September, if they'll start to kind of game plan for the postseason, which more and more teams are doing nowadays. So will Joe um, be a victim of his team's, the very success that is propelling him to this epic season? Ozzy Albies, is this, you know, if you think about Ozzy Albies and, and just unexpected emergence, this is not something that Joe's even said. Uh, on this podcast, he did not see that coming. It's one of his highest scoring players this week. And it looks like Mustakis is cooling down. Stanton is cooling down. Hoskins is cooling down. Correa, um, you know, super impressive week, Joe, in that you were able to kind of pull off a win. But this is definitely not the types of wins you've been pulling off uh, before. No, I mean, but it's it also points out the importance of pitching. I had three days of pitching this week versus seven for Chris or six for Chris. It's, it's 20% of your score. Yeah. I, I wonder what the most number of, yeah, I guess we could look it up pretty easily, but it was the most number of games that Albies has played in his professional career in a year prior to this year. Even if this power is legit in the long term, you know, what's he going to be like post all-star break? Is he going to be tired? Is, you know, ground, down a little bit from from you know the the longest season of his life so far in his minor league career he has hit uh six seven home runs between 2014 and 2016 and then in triple a at the Gwinnett Braves in 2017 he actually had nine home runs and and had a batting average of 284 and an OBP of 330 definitely some pop in his bat for sure at 41 ribbies this was in 97 games and how many home runs does he have right now he currently has he's 13 12 he has 13? 13 home runs that's right greg yeah so he's not had a season where he's hit more than nine and he's on pace to hit 47 home runs this year that's yeah i'm pretty sure that's cool. not gonna happen that's crazy does the uh does the mlb test as um as uh, deliberately as like the, the NL, NFL does, you know, in the NFL, if a guy, you know, the Steelers kicker had a game where he kicked six <laughs> field goals. So, I mean, you know, it's not like he, he, you know, they just, they told him trot out there six times. And it's not like that's a, shouldn't be that exerting. You would think for a professional kicker to, I mean, it's unusual, but not exerting, but they drug tested him the next day. Is you that know, a any, fact? Like the, is any, that, is like, it, oh, wow. Oh okay. yeah. It's a fact. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we had this slot cornerback who uh, had three sacks, just a kind of a fluky thing. You smaller guy, slot cornerback, and they drug tested him on Monday after he had his big, biggest game of the season. Are, are the is MLB? Is it truly random drug testing, or are they looking at an Albies and saying, "Come on, this is either just extremely unusual. This guy has hit his." strength stride or something or we need to look into this uh, any do, do we hear anything about that do you guys read anything about that in your uh the media that you guys follow i haven't seen anything about it i i think i said something to you guys before about uh you know how i saw a montage of all of his home runs thus far this season and he's got a ridiculous uppercut to his swing that somebody's going to exploit real soon you know, whether, whether the power is enhanced or not, that, that swing is something that he's going to have to adjust when they adjust to him. So when they bust him for PEDs, you will forfeit your wins. Is that correct? I think. Uh, fuck no. Oh, okay. That's, mm. that's never been a part of the game. This would be a good question for Jack, having worked in professional sports. Like, do you think they're Albie's own uh, organization? You think the Braves are like, pulling him aside and being like, Hey, uh, Ozzy, Hey, we're thrilled with all the home runs, but dude, what the fuck's happening here? Should we be worried? You, you know what I mean? Crazy. If they haven't had that conversation with him, I wonder if they do. Do you think, do you think well, did you pro see, organizations do that sort of thing? Who, who was the Yankees player that they interviewed that was talking about Cano this week? Did you see that? Uh, yeah, it was to share Mark to share. And he said, yeah, we all kind of had our suspicions. 
So I don't, I don't think you can hide that from your, your teammates and your club. Well, well, that's what I mean, though. So maybe that's the answer mm-hmm. to the question. There, obviously, there's no competitive spirit clause being read at the winter meetings among MLB owners. I mean, seriously, a lot of industries have some responsibility to self-report um, infractions of various things. You know, the call, you know, NCAA, uh, they're supposed to self-report infractions. If Mark Teixeira just absolutely casually says, oh, yeah, I love Robbie. You know, this was kind of obnoxious of Teixeira, but honest, I love Robbie, but I'm not really all that surprised. You know, I don't know how well, the NCAA things. is different too, though, because if you self-report, oftentimes your penalty is going to be a little bit less than it would be if they catch you. Well, so what I mean, though, is there there must be no obligation for the there. For what would be teams. the benefit for them to do it outside? Well, there'd of, be there'd be no benefit. That's but why they it, won't do it. No, no, no. But hear me out, though. There'd be no benefit. But there's a lot of things to which there's no benefit that they have to do. You know, I mean. If 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 the MLB or the commissioner's office made that a rule, they would have to do it, even though there's no benefit in it for them. Well, so I guess there, there is no penalty if you break the rule. Right, right. But there should, and that's what I'm penalty. saying. Is there? I guess there is no expectation that I, I've never thought about this until just this second. That you know, it, it must not be difficult to know these guys are cheating, and so the MLB. Is is essentially saying, hey, you know, we hold harmless the clubs, even though you guys all know what's happening or could easily know. Like in, in any business, it's like sexual harassment, right? Uh, certainly, the person who per- perpetrates that sort of thing is is you know responsible for it. But the organizations also become responsible if it's determined that they should have known. If there's a pervasive culture of that sort of thing, or you know if they should have known that somebody was committing harassment. So is there no responsibility on professional uh, organi- sports organizations to say, you know, he was really good at eluding us, but in this case, it doesn't sound like Cano was all that crafty about it because Teixeira knew. Well, okay, so let's say Ozzy Albies is doing some sort of performance-enhancing drug. Uh, is the union going to allow the Braves to force him to go take some sort of test to prove that he isn't. I'm not saying the Braves have the authority or should make him go take a test, but I mean, if, if they know about it, aren't, isn't that kind of cynical of them not to be like, Hey, listen, dude, we're aware of it. We're not going to report you because we're not obligated to report you. And as much as we love these, this fucking pop in your bat, you got to stop, you know? Well, I think that would be a reasonable thing for them to do. If, but if that uh, that's case. my question. Do you think that they're ever doing that? Because it's, I, like I, I think said, with as much money as they have invested in these guys anymore, it, it, it's it's almost a responsibility. But it doesn't seem like they're to. doing it, though. Well, how do you know that? I, I don't. Maybe I'm some asking. guy was doing it and his club went to him and said, hey, I know you're doing this. Now stop. No, I, I don't know. But uh, but based on Teixeira's comments, he was kind of blasé about it. Like, yeah, yeah, we all kind of knew. And when you think about it, the guys that when we've all been on sports teams or when we were younger and we were uh, spending a lot more time with our friends, you know, the more fraternal mm-hmm. environments, you know what people are doing. You, you, you know, it's, it's hard to keep secrets with a group of guys you're on a team with or gals. If you're on a, you know, a female athlete, you know, that you're on a t- team with, it's hard to keep things totally secret. So, uh, is it, is that the old rule of the clubhouse where, the owners or the general manager don't go into the clubhouse and what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. Is that, is that, is that what we're intuiting as, as likely to be happening? Because if Teixeira can so casually say, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, basically what he was saying is, yeah, we all kind of suspected that. Well, was doing that. You know, to be fair, I, I'm not, I sort of got the impression when Teixeira said that, that he said, Oh, because they had the same agent and they're from, they lived, they both lived in the same part of Miami or whatever it was. I am not, I'm not positive. He was saying that, Oh yeah, we, you know, they'd go to the bathroom together to shoot up. I, I don't know that that's how deep he was going with it. Yeah. I don't either. But again, it just seemed like he was awfully, he, he wasn't surprised at all. There was no surprise. Yeah, I don't there. think he was. And, and if a teammate has so little surprise, shouldn't the trainers uh, or the, the, the GM, the manager, the coaches, 
isn't it a little bit cynical to think that they didn't suspect something? And if that's the case, is them not saying anything, any kind of a you know, ethical failure on their part? You know, you, you also have to, you know, going back to Albies, you, you would tend to think he wouldn't do that. He was going to make the Braves at some point and get a shot. Um, why would you risk that? If, uh, you, you tend to think of the guys willing to risk that as being the fringe prospects. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. You think about the guys who've, who've gotten, I mean, Starling Marte last year for the Pirates. You know, he certainly, hey, listen, I, I, he I, wasn't I, a superstar, but he was a well-established major league player. Yeah. You know, seemingly no need yeah, to Robinson do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. D. Gordon, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, whoever, whoever pointed out uh, Cano getting busted, my first text back was, well, I guess Ozzy Albies has to be worried or something like that. So, is it, you know, if I'm thinking it, I'm sure everybody else is, too. Well, that, but honestly, though, that's what I mean. Do yeah. if everybody's thinking it in the public, is there any obligation? I mean, I, I guess not. I guess the Braves just hope for the best. And it's like, don't ask, don't tell. Right. I would expect that the Braves probably aren't really permitted to do more than say, you know, the offhand things that we said. I'm sure the players union won't allow them to to intervene. Hmm. Maybe not. Yeah. I, the I players know. union would certainly not let the team test for PEDs Correct. for sure. Because what No, I'm not saying that, but wouldn't they wouldn't like a like a uh, a veteran or a, a wily old coach pull them aside and be like, "Listen, Ozzy, I'm not sure what you're mm-hmm. doing, but if you are doing anything, let me tell you, man, it's, let me tell you, young man, it's not worth it. Interesting. You know, that makes me think about, um, something else. I don't know if you, I, I think I texted you guys, the, uh, Buck Showalter, Dylan Bundy. <laughs> I think it was Dylan Bundy pitching right. Showalter showing up Bundy. Did you guys see that? Joe, did you see that? I did not. So the Orioles were playing the Sox and, um, who was it? Was it, um, the good uh, socks or the white socks? The good socks, the red okay. socks, yeah. Um, so they they took Bundy deep, basically, and Showalter. They, the speculation from the sports writer was that Showalter is just about to lose his shit because the O's suck so bad <laughs> this year. Uh, I've never seen this. God damn, who who hit that home run? I forget. But uh, took Bundy deep and was doing, you know, how, how long does it take a typical major leaguer to trot around the bases? Uh, it's, I, don't I think, know. uh, 10 uh, and a half minute and a no, half, 10 and a half seconds. It's not long. 10 and a half seconds. I, maybe, maybe bases. it's wow, 20 seconds. Bad. I actually, I can get you an actual, I was going to say 15, but so they have a, they have a photo and they have the video of it. Show Walter didn't even wait until the hitter had crossed the home plate before he was, he was trotting onto the field to give Bundy the hook. Oh, wow. Like they have video of him rounding the batter, rounding third in their show. Walter, like hopping across the third baseline to avoid getting in his way to give Bundy the hook. And so they were talking about how that's a reflection of just how frustrated show Walter is. But they were like, man, have you ever seen a manager? Is that the worst example of a manager showing up a starting pitcher? that you've ever seen. Is that even legal for him to be out there on the field ball? It's not like it's a dead ball play at that point. He's an instigator. Showalter has always been. Hopefully he'll lose his job soon. I think that's what he's hoping. (laughs) Actually, no, I hope he keeps his job for a long time so that they can suck some more. Yeah. So it takes, uh, so Miguel Cabrera takes between 21 and 25 seconds to run around the bases. So you figure well, that he's probably not too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Walter was trying to instigate something by walking in front of the, the actual guy that hit the home run? I, 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 don't, I don't know enough That's, about yeah. Walter. Um, if, if it was the Red Sox, you could almost be sure he was trying to stick yeah, yeah. his Red nose Sox. at them. You mean you're thumbing your nose at a guy who just beat your ass. You know what I mean? That's That seems like a weird... You're showing him up as much yeah, as you're showing the you walked the right across up. his home run trot. Like, that's a... It's it in reality he hasn't crossed home plate. That's still is it a lot? I don't know if it's a live, a live play. Ball. Yeah, it's a live play. He he just he I've watched him over the years uh, when he was with the Yankees and when he's with the O's and he just always tries to get things going with the Red Sox. He just he's always done that and that's why when you said hmm. um you know I wasn't thinking he was 
I think it was Bogarts. Oh, yeah, Xander Bogarts, Bogarts did hit a home run in that game. That would make sense. There you go, man. Well, the writer speculated that the writer, you know, again, I don't know Showalter. You guys are American League East guys, not me. But uh, the writer speculated that that Showalter is just so fucking like crazy frustrated with his own team that he was just like, <laughs> oh, God, he just wanted to get out there. But like, get out. You're out. Uh, bring in somebody from the There's bullpen. a lot of Showalter apologists out there. That's probably what it was. Yeah. Just Showalter's apologists. All right, guys, let's uh, let's go ahead, refresh our drinks, come back, and we can talk a little bit. There was a little scuffle with the Reds and the Cubs. Yeah, a little one. Just a little one. And then I wanted to talk a bit about something that, that the Rays are doing. This is post-Madden, but that the Rays are doing that was super interesting to me. And get your thoughts on that. Talk to you in a minute. back bots and guys i talked to you about something that the rays were doing that was interesting and we keep talking about how major league baseball is really starting to break with convention if we say i, I don't want to say tradition but definitely convention and as more statistics more analysis is coming into the game we're seeing some really odd things we talked about joe madden and his time at the tampa bay rays and he's probably to a lesser extent doing this up in chicago as well we've been talking about the shifts and again, the Rays and Madden were, were one of the first to do this. And, you know, it's hard for me to think of anything being innovative in Tampa. And I've lived there, so I know <laughs> what I'm talking about. However, the Rays did something. I don't know if you guys heard about this. They actually took their closer, who had closed, I think it was 538, or, or had uh, had pitched and appeared in 538 games, mostly as uh, late innings relief or closer work, a pitcher named Romo. He's their seventh inning guy, right? He's now. their seventh inning guy. Who, so they Sergio use Sergio Romo. Sergio Romo. They use him Former in high Giant. leverage. Yes, high leverage situation situations. And what they did was because they didn't want their quote unquote starter to have to move through the rotations three times. They thought that this kid would get exposed. They actually threw Romo out there in the first inning. It was his first start mm. in five hundred and thirty eight appearances. My question is, can you save a game in the first inning? Is there something to high leverage situations, there's emotional component, or is it just an out is an out? You have 27 that you have to get, and it doesn't matter where you get them. The game is going to end when the game is going to end on the 27th out. And by the way, he struck out the side in the first inning. Well, well one of the things that they they were talking about was that you're playing the Angels, you, you've got three right-handed batters in a row to lead off the lineup. Your your young starter is a left-hander. Why not uh, throw a left-hander against Trout and these other guys, try and take the bat out of their hands, and then bring this guy in? And it, and it actually kind of makes sense. And it's not, it a, it's not a new idea either. Uh, Red Auerbach, the, the former coach, and you laugh, but he wrote about this in a book in the 70s. One of the things he didn't understand about baseball is why not just find your nine best pitchers and either throw them for an inning or three innings or whatever it is that when they're <laughs> most effective and do it every day. Well, and it's, just a, it's just a way of thinking outside the box. Isn't your nine best pitchers just uh-huh. your pitching staff? Like, is it- <laughs> well, yeah, whatever, whatever. Maybe it's your three best pitchers and throw them throw them three innings a day every day so apparently the rays go to the same antique bookshop that you do (laughs) and they picked up red Auerbach's musings on baseball connie mack said (laughs) that uh you know why not wear 
something on our hands so that when the ball hits it, it doesn't doesn't uh, sting as much. And that's how the, the glove came into being. Right. And John Macaro said, why don't we use maple bats, you know, you in go. baseball as opposed to oak or hickory? All kidding aside, though, that, that is interesting that the Rays did it. And Joe's right. You know, uh, obviously the, the lineups are set with top of the lineup kind of guys. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does have a certain logic to it. And it makes me think about our previous conversations um, about the shifting that's going on defensively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, somebody might have been using our material, even though we didn't first comment on the Joey Gallo situation. There were subsequent commentary on it right after we talked about it here on the podcast. But what's interesting to me, though, is the author of the article was saying that, you know, we may be from a defensive standpoint moving to a positionless future where players are just moved around based on spray charts and things like that. And that Gallo shift, Jack had called it out last week. I had a, didn't have it quite right. There was only one guy on, on the left side of the, of the field, Mm -hmm. not the infield. Mm -hmm. There was a left fielder. Everybody else was on the right side. Mm -hmm. But now that you're talking about what the Rays did, Tim, it makes me think that same level of innovation hasn't been applied to pitching or hitting the, like the batting order as it's seemingly it's fair game to do defensive shifting, but that same level of innovation isn't uh, yet starting to manifest in pitching and hitting. It does make sense, right? So you you take this pitcher who's the right-handedness and you go at it, right? And you, and you reduce Trout to one less at bat. You know, you know, you don't know exactly who's going to be up in any particular inning after the first inning, and there is a certain logic to it. Let your younger starter start with the guy. Who, you know, I guess it'd be the cleanup hitter in that case, but mm-hmm. lower down in the batting. You know, give give those top three hitters, those top three or four hitters, one less opportunity to see your your best pitcher. But it's interesting that Romo did so well because there's also that old cliche that if you bring in a closer just to get him some work in an inning other than the ninth or in a non-save situation, uh, invariably they're, they're not as, as on uh, point mm-hmm. and they're more susceptible to getting hit, which seems illogical, but I have to say I've, uh, there seems to be some truth to it based on you know the sampling size that I've seen. Right, right. Well, they did this two days in a row now. Interesting. But, you know, wasn't it, who was the manager of the Reds who got fired? Was it Brian Price? Mm -hmm. Two or three years ago, he started to talk about, hey, I'm not going to just wait till the ninth inning to bring in my closer. If I need him in the seventh, I'm going to bring him in the seventh. And he was ridiculed for that philosophy. Mm -hmm. And we've even seen it with Kapler this year doing some unusual things. Like, it seems like shifting, for whatever reason, has been accepted as, um, you know, just a now part of the game. But I think that, you know, uh, like La Russa used to bat his pitcher ninth, I mean, his pitcher eighth sometimes and have a speedy guy in the ninth spot for some fucking reason. And, and people always thought that was strange. So it seems like it's more sacred to mess with the batting order or the pitching staff than it is the, the defensive shifts. The Braves did that recently with Ender Enciarte. They flipped Enciarte to number nine in the batting order. So this was a guy, he went from leadoff, so batting one, to batting ninth. And the idea was that first rotation through... Ender would get on base and he would have the one, two, three hitters hitting behind him. So if uh, Acuna, who is leading off, <clears throat> has a single, Enciarte could make it home. I don't know how the numbers play out with that. I don't know how effective that is. I do remember Larusa doing it and people just were like, oh my gosh, he's insane or brilliant. And Kapler, that guy went from bum to brilliant. Like, so fast. Hey, we called that. We said all he has to do is win, and everybody will uh, think it's a genius. I know. I know. But is there some statistical innovation that we haven't heard about yet where, you know, is it the wisest thing to do to to structure a batting order as as managers do now? Where do you have a cleanup hitter hitting fourth or would there be some statistical benefit that I'm I'm not aware of it? Is there a new way to conceive of batting order that that, you know, maybe some statistician hasn't uh, yet uncovered? And I know that's an unanswerable question, but I'm just saying. You know, the defensive metrics were once sacred and, and these extreme shifts would have been, you know, considered anti-baseball, but it is like the closers in the first inning and fucking with the batting order. Is that something that we're going to see? If you continue to shift like this and it becomes more and more prevalent, eventually what would happen is teams would start loading up on slap hitter on base guys. And one of those teams 
would be able to hit around those shifts or, or make them irrelevant and win. That would be, be the beginning of the end of that. Well, that, that further article that kind of took up where we left off last week was still talking about Joey Gallo and how, you know, he's just not a good hitter. You know, he has immense power, but that extreme shift on him, he just doesn't have the, the bat skill. Mm-hmm to slap it, but they compared him to uh, J.D. Martinez and saying, you know, they're they're both cut from the same cloth in, in a sense, but Martinez is just a much more sophisticated hitter mm-hmm. who can go to the opposite field. You know, so I don't know if there'd be a bunch of slap hitters. Uh, I think the way to defeat these extreme shifts will be to have more sophisticated hitters who maybe they have their bread and butter, but have at least the ability to try to go the other way. Or, or you, you're a smarter hitter, so you know the pitching staff is going to try and uh, throw down in the zone, and you uh, you just change your swing and, and lift the ball over the shift and hit a home run. It's a, it's a, there's always that chess match going on. Yeah, there sure is, and I think traditionally you're where you hit in the batting order, there is a set of responsibilities that goes with that. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about baseball being a game of adjustments, and one of the adjustments is how a team is going to attack your batting order with the assumption that your number one hitter, so your your you start the game, first guy into the batter's box, the pitcher does not want to walk that guy, does not want to put that guy in base. So he's going to really work hard to keep the stuff that he throws in the strike zone and get that batter out. And Bryce Harper in the three spot wasn't seeing a lot of pitches. They were pitching around him. Who's managing the the Nationals? Dave Martinez? Does that sound right? The uh, manager for the, the Washington Nationals put Harper in the one spot. And so he started to have see pitches that he could hit. So he made the adjustment that the other teams, no matter who the player was, that first batter is going to get get pitches grooved to him. And the number two hitter typically the job of the number two hitter is to advance the number one hitter. That's that's their job. And and it's not about power. You've got to cut back on power. That's why you don't see a lot of number two hitters with a lot of home runs. Then number three, you know, pretty much the number three hitter, the idea is that do whatever the pitches have got coming to you. Four, five, six are really about slugging, do what you will with the rest. So I don't know. I think, Greg, you're right that it's a it's a pitching staff adjustment to how the lineups are stacked. You know, I think if we went back and watched a game from five years ago, how many shifts were we seeing then? <clears throat> Very few. I mean, it was the it was the same type of shifts you'd see in Little League Baseball, which was, okay, move 25 feet to your right in the outfield. Right. As a kid growing up, I don't think I saw the first extreme shift where there was only one infielder on uh, between second and third till five, seven years ago. Joe oh. used to shift on Ted Williams back in the 40s. Who did? Lou Boudreau, the manager of the Indians, used to, it was called the Boudreau shift, and he would move everybody over to the the uh, pole side of the infield that was that was specifically for Ted Williams. Joe saw that on a Saturday morning newsreel at the movie theaters. <laughs> the Bedro shift. <laughs> ah, this in from Boston. The Bedro shift foils Teddy Williams. Teddy ball game. He's going to have his head cryogenically frozen when he dies. I hear. <laughs> Probably going to cause a lot of trouble with his fourth wife and his unborn son. <laughs> he became a tentacle. I bet you Bruce was doing that. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, I just think that with computer uh, simulations and so forth, I'd love to see them start to, you know, like the ultimate zone rating that they have for for the defensive metrics. It'd mm-hmm. be interesting to see if they could start to, and they, and I can't imagine why they couldn't do it. Start modeling out, you know, how different constructing of lineups would yield some benefit. And again, maybe they've already done that, and they've concluded that in that, those cases, the traditions are traditions for valid reasons i don't know well we'll see it's been it's really being fun it's it's really been fun watching the game evolve and thinking about how that will feed back into our little fantasy reflection that we engage in with way too much seriousness and too large of an investment of time for sure especially the three of us that show up every week for the podcast as well (laughs) to help those in our league and others in dynasty leagues to themselves become great we do that jack maybe not so much but i'm doing it for that kid stuttgart who only dreams of being in a fantasy baseball league uh, someday that's right so that's who i'm doing this for to try to inspire that kid and, and we should point out that greg has refrained from uh talking about uh jack's commitment once again the second opportunity this season to do it and he's just showed great restraint well you know jack and i are in cahoots he's afraid of jack <laughs> yeah 
That's right. It's the only person he doesn't go after. So you must be afraid of him. That's right. I am afraid. Now it is interesting though. Um, you know, that, uh, three, two, one, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, the tequila is talking now. It, it, it is well, interesting. Trace. <laughs> It is interesting, though, that, you know, going, and I, Tim, I know you through the magic of editing, you can put this all together, that the, um, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure, the extreme shifts, they're not considered to be poor sportsmanship. I know I said that last week when we first talked about the extreme shifts, but, you know, there's nobody getting plunked because they made it difficult for Gallo to get a hit because of that extreme shift. The, the plunking seemed to be, um, uh, they, they seem to be, uh, they, they, they people get plunked because they're breaking the baseball traditions. Mm-hmm. They're doing things that are uh, against the hallowed traditions of the game. And these extreme shifts certainly fall into that category. So why not plunk somebody for, you know, shifting on your team in a, in a vicious way? Or are there rules that, you know what, the extreme shift that we put on Gallo in the first inning when the game was up in the air we're not going to do that extreme shift in the seventh if we're killing the Rangers because to do the extreme shift under those circumstances would be a violation of the unwritten rules of baseball. Mm-hmm. And, and likewise with the, the Rays, you know, uh, okay, so you're going to run your closer out there in the first inning and, and strike out our top three hitters. We're going to fucking plunk your leadoff hitter <laughs> because you broke a hallowed tradition of baseball. But they don't seem to be doing that. There, there seems to be some restraint. It's only... It's not the systematic, I guess that's it. It's not the organizational systematic departures from the rules of baseball that are being engineered by the managers of the team. It's the individual infractions, like you know, uh, somebody laying down a bunt who's taking uh, it upon himself on an individual level, not on a team level to do those things. Yeah, the ghost of Bob Gibson, right, is fading. Not as long as I'm on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Mr. Brushback. Yes, absolutely. Correa and Ramirez are both 0 for 3, and it's now the top of the 8th. Houston is winning 2 to nothing. And that was your Rudin Metal Update, brought to you by Bacher Beer. Bacher Beer. <laughs> so what What are fans of your team called? Metalheads? Metalheads. Metalheads, metal okay. Or tin hats. For all you metalheads out there. Tinfoil hats. How about that? <laughs> Tin hats, tinfoil hats. That's tin tinfoil hats. That's that's what they call themselves. The metalhead tinfoil hats. I think metalheads works. Yeah, but the tinfoil hats sort of portrays a little craziness. All right, boys. Are we good? I think we covered all we needed to cover tonight. I'd like to say that this third segment was brought to you by Wervo Gold. <laughs> Wervo Gold. When you, I, think uh, we, I think we have to keep going until my game is over. Your game is over. You won. It's no. not even a... Joe. I'm you know, you. this is like a Zen mind fuck. Joe's game was over before it began. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I told you he spun on <laughs> tequila. Some of the evil laugh. Oh, look, and he's stroking the yeah. evil goat team. Uh, yeah, they can't. You, you cannot see that, Bockers. Like? I just for, realized. For great uh, radio, Dennis. This is who I'm gonna post a picture of um, for on on Instagram because I just realized who Joe looked like stroking his evil beard. Is do you guys remember the? Flash Gordon. Oh, yes. Ming. Yeah, he looks like Ming, who was played (laughs) by... uh, Ming the Merciless. Yeah, Ming the Merciless, who's played by a German actor. Yeah, he's not not Chinese. (laughs) No, he was a German dude. A really well-known actor. Good actor. Hold on. If only there was a device in your hand that you could look that up on. He's looking at it right now. I'm going to kick myself for not remembering it. You know, it's funny. So Greg on tequila, there are certain parts of his personality that are dialed up and there's certain uh, parts of his personality dialed down. So if you're ever competing at a, um, at an event where there is, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, um, Oh, geez, me on light beer. I'm just stupid as it is. Cornhole. Trivia. So don't ever give Greg tequila shots at a trivia night because that's one of the, the one of the one of the Greg superpowers is that he can call up these random facts, right? But now he's been broken down to looking it up on his phone. Max von Sydow. <laughs> ah. Remember him? I thought I, you were going to say Gunter Glieber. No, Max von Sydow. He's been a lot of stuff. 
you know, it's funny, yeah. Tim, you mentioned that. My brother and I, uh, when I lived in New Jersey, my brother used to come up there for business once a month and we'd have a night out and have some fun. And we found ourselves at a uh, local bar and it was trivia night. And my brother, Gary, is every bit as random and as good at trivia as me. We're very similar. And so we just sat down and it was a bunch of locals um, and, and we were just killing people. I mean, we were just whipping their asses, getting every question right, just slaughtering them. And then there was this one question. The way it worked at this trivia hour is they'd ask a question. They'd play a song, and you, uh, while the song was playing, you wrote down your answer, and you delivered it to the DJ slash quiz master. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he asked a question. There's one state in the United States that begins with the letter P. Name it. Come on. Pennsylvania. We got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and we weren't that drunk. But, I mean, like, we, and you're like, from there? we were whipped. Listen, we, I know we were whipping ass, but like my brother, as soon as he asked the question, my brother blurted out Puerto Rico. And, and, and I was like, no, that's not a state. Well, and 10 then years he was like, now he might've been right. Yeah. But then, but then it just threw us off. You know, we were like, well, okay, no, no. And we just couldn't get Puerto Rico out of our mind. <laughs> and then the trivia master came over to us, like as an aside, and was like, guys, you're killing everybody. But how could you not know Pennsylvania? And then we looked at each other like, holy shit, we're from Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. But the, every other question was so obscure. And, like, if I didn't know it, my brother knew it and vice versa. Like, the winning question was, I mean, we, we tripled everybody's points. The winning question was, what literary character was orphaned when his parents were killed? And his he also had a wife named Tracy who was killed in a ski accident or something like that. And it was James Bond. And I, I was like... My brother knew. I was like, James Bond was married. He's like, oh yeah, don't you remember that? I was like, no, clearly not. No, I saw the movie. She was killed in a car on the on the road. Oh, car. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. They shot her in the no, car. I, I didn't even know fucking James Bond had ever been married. <laughs> that was that was the Telly Savalas James Bond movie. So what you're saying is that uh, Greg, you, and Gary can make the flashy plays, but the routine plays. <laughs> it was incredible. We felt so. We still laugh about it to this day. That is hilarious that you couldn't remember the state you're from. I know. And he was living in that state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> the state well, of Pennsylvania. Hey, Rex, isn't that. it in the university that you went to? Isn't it in yeah, the Penn name state. of the university? Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen, uh, thanks for having the commitment that you do. Thanks for stepping up for Bacher Nation. Hope you all have a wonderful night, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night, boys. Good night. Good night.
you think perhaps he doesn't want to talk about it? Oh my God! This is I mean, if he doesn't. This is fantasy fucking baseball. We're having fun. <laughs> oh, Reardon Metal shirt. Oh, let's see that. That's right. Look at you. So your colors are yellow and gray. Number two pencil. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a blank T-shirt I had laying around. <laughs> Man, I'd love the footage of Joe creating that shirt. First, discovering an old T-shirt in a drawer that. Time had forgotten. They thought, you know, there's no use for this shirt anymore. I'm going to throw it away. Wait a second. No. I'm going to get my markers and create a shirt. <laughs> it's paint. One of a kind. Fabric paint. There you go. So this is what people really, they don't understand what goes on in between the, the segments. It's Joe drinking rum. Rum and a fiber one bar. Greg making himself. It's wild. <laughs> he's making himself a nice tequila shot the lick the slam and the suck yes woo mm.